Future Proof Extra from News Talk. We human beings are complicated creatures. We have the capacity to endure the greatest hardships to even sacrifice ourselves in order to save others. But we're also guilty of vicious premeditated violence and ruthlessly inflicting suffering on others. So where and when did our self-domestication arise? And why have we held on to some of our most violent tendencies? Dr. Richard Rangham is Ruth B. Moore Professor of Biological Anthropology at Harvard University and author of The Goodness Paradox, The Strange Relationship Between Virtue and Violence in Human Evolution. He joins me now. Dr. Rangham, thank you very much for being on the show today. Delighted to be here. So The Goodness Paradox is your latest book. What, what is so paradoxical about human kindness? I think in the past, what we have tended to think is that uh, we lie somewhere on a single scale of aggression. And at times we can say to ourselves, well, we're so unaggressive, we're so tolerant, in face-to-face interactions, we're so nice, we must be very low on the scale of aggression. But at other times we can notice all the hideous things that happen in war and sometimes uh, not in war, where we are extraordinarily cruel and violent to each other. And if we regard ourselves as being on this single scale of aggression, then it's paradoxical that on the one hand we're at the very low end and on the other hand we're at the very high end. So that's the problem. I never I never actually thought about that. I didn't think about, yeah, if it's on the same scale, that that's, that's paradoxical. So are we naturally predetermined to be violent? Where does this, the urge for violence, for want of a better word, come from? I, I think it's clear that, that we have a, a natural propensity to, to use our... Uh, our intelligence and our our muscles uh, to be violent at times, uh, just like other animals do. And uh, the really interesting question in the case of humans, I think, is not so much why we're violent as why we're so extraordinarily non-violent. I mean, in many ways, uh, violence is somewhat exceptional compared to other species, but even more exceptional is the extraordinary degree of docility and tolerance that we show in in ordinary interactions. And if we focus on that problem, then as as you referred to it, um, it seems likely that humans have undergone a process of self-domestication. And nowadays, we can look at domestication as a biological phenomenon and see all sorts of specific biological traits associated with it. And very striking ones are those that are to do with the bones and the teeth that are recognized in other animals. And they're important because we can go back in time and look at the fossils and see what has happened to our bones and teeth. And in the last 300,000 years, what has happened is they have gone in the directions taken by domesticated animals. So this is really rather clear biological evidence that we have gone down the path of being domesticated. Okay, so when you so the self-domestication part of that, what does the self mean in that definition? Well, of course, you know the fascinating question, uh, given the fact that that we are so downregulated in some aspects of aggression, um, and that we look like domesticated animals compared to our. Um, more recent ancestors. Fascinating question is why there should have been selection against aggressiveness. And one way to answer this is to look at what happens among people living in small-scale societies when you have an individual who behaves with excessive, unusual aggression. And it's very clear what the answer is, because in the absence of prisons, and the absence of police, and the absence of a state, and so on, 
then uh, people have to look after themselves. And if somebody is bullying them to the point where they are taking whatever they want, whether it is uh, meat or uh, other foods or the best place to be or, uh, or, or access to uh, mates, uh, then in the end, after trying to cajole them and ridicule them and ostracize them and just get away from them, if they can't do any of those things successfully, then you know what they have to do? They have to execute them. And capital punishment turns out to be a regular feature of people living in small-scale societies when they are driven to their wits' end by someone who is ultimately very, very aggressive. Well, capital punishment taken over many years uh, leads to a reduction of the propensity for being aggressive because it gets at the genes of those individuals. It reduces the frequency of those genes in the population. So the, the answer seems to be that uh, the way in which we became domesticated was through self-domestication in the sense that members of our society took it upon themselves to be responsible for capital punishment. But then this raises this fascinating question, which is if capital punishment was responsible for reducing our aggressiveness, then what sense does that make? Because capital punishment is itself a form of aggression. Absolutely. This is just, this was going to be my question. You, you hit the nail on the head there. So we are breeding out aggression by killing people, basically, which is an act of aggression in itself. Yes. And so, so this is the, the, the central issue, I think, that uh, comes back to the question of how we understand ourselves on a scale of aggression. And the answer is that for decades, um, people in, in biology and psychology have recognized that the way to think about aggression is that it falls into two pretty distinct types. One type is the one that we're familiar with at some level because it's the one that we see to some extent in ordinary interactions, which is reactive aggression. Reactive aggression is is losing your temper when threatened or annoyed by somebody, lashing out, uh, being aroused, uh, being uh, very emotional, um, but just taking care of business right at the time. The other type of aggression is proactive aggression, which is uh, the attempt to uh, get a goal that may use aggression to get it. You might be wanting to get money, you might want to get rid of somebody. Uh, you make a plan and it is premeditated. You might be quite cold about it at the time that you uh, take uh, care of the aggression. Now, what is so fascinating is that these two types, reactive and proactive, the, the hot and the cold, as it were, the uh, impulsive and, uh, and the planned, uh, these two types are found in animals. And now what is known is that in uh, model animals, that is to say uh, rats and mice in captivity, uh, then the way in which the two kinds of aggression are innovated in the brain is different. Different pathways are responsible for reactive and proactive aggression. So these are biologically distinct forms of, of thing. And what it means is that when we come back to thinking about human evolution, capital punishment is clearly proactive aggression. It's planned, it's cold, it's deliberate, and the aggressors don't get involved in a fight, they're just carrying out a plan. The uh, kind of aggression that is going to be responsible for a victim uh, being uh, executed is sometimes perhaps proactive, but very often it's going to be reactive. It's going to be the guy who 
whenever he's threatened, just fights back so hard that he ends up hurting everybody around him. And whenever that happens, you've got one type of aggression, proactive, getting rid of another type of aggression, reactive. And so what we end up with is our extraordinary combination in humans, which is a species that is very high on the proactive uh, dimension, but very low on the, re- on the reactive dimension. That's funny to me because I would have assumed the other way around. I would have assumed that humans were really reactive. You know, people get emotional. You see it all the time. There's YouTube clips galore of people reacting to a situation they're in highly emotional or violently. But you're saying that we're more prone to proactive. Well, I, I see what you mean in the sense that, that we don't see proactive aggression so much. Um, although if you listen for gossip and you are aware of uh, you know the little things, the, the ways that people get at each other, uh, then you will become aware of some proactive aggression. But when you say that you would think that reactive aggression is more characteristic of humans, what that says to me is you haven't spent a lot of time with wild animals. You haven't spent a lot of time with chimpanzees, for instance. No, I definitely uh, we... haven't. You have me there. That is something <laughs> I have not done. Well, um, if you do, uh, and uh, come and see my site sometime, um, what uh, what you notice is that almost every day you're going to see, you know, sometimes rather casual, uh, sometimes uh, not so casual, episodes of uh, fighting and physical aggression. And we have uh, been able to get tens of thousands of cases of uh, reactive aggression among chimpanzees that we see in my study site in western Uganda. And uh, what we find is that the rough um, difference in the frequency of reactive aggression where people actually hit each other, individuals actually hit each other, uh, is between uh, 500 and 1,000 times. Uh, that is to say, it, it's that much more common in chimpanzees than it is in humans. And in general, in the humans, uh, we are able to come into cities and squeeze into tube trains together and so on and so on uh, with very little direct aggression. We might be feeling it. We might get somewhat aroused occasionally. But if somebody actually hits somebody else, you know, there's a major fuss. The whole everybody else gets you know, really upset. This is true, actually. Maybe I'm thinking more of passive aggressive. Maybe it's just those passive aggressive thoughts you have when you're squished up against somebody on the dart and right. you're just thinking about how you would react because they are obviously in your personal space, but you don't. So, yeah, I understand what you mean. Um, so you spent your early years as a grad student looking at chimpanzees, didn't you? And bonobos. Am I correct in that? And it, it's it's most, mostly chimpanzees I've worked with, um, initially with Jane Goodall in her site in Gombe in Tanzania. And then since 1987, um, I've been working uh, with a bunch of colleagues and students uh, on a, a chimpanzee population in Kibali in Uganda. And then occasionally I've gone to see uh, bonobos, but I, I've never really studied them directly. And why chimpanzees? Well, I mean, chimpanzees and bonobos are equally interesting from our point of view because uh, they are the two closest relatives of uh, humans. Uh, they're equally closely related to us. And it turns out that there's a very strong uh, evidence that chimpanzees are really quite similar to the common ancestor between chimpanzees, bonobos and humans, which lived something around seven to nine million years ago. And the reason we can say that is because of the existence of a third great ape in Africa, namely gorillas, 
because chimpanzees and gorillas are rather similar to each other. In fact, in many ways, a gorilla is little more than a big chimpanzee. And uh, that means that there's been a very conservative form of the great ape, the chimpanzee-gorilla type. And amazingly, humans uh, evolved uh, after the split between chimpanzees and gorillas. So uh, our descendant from one of those species was a, a species that had already carved off the gorillas, as it were, and were now uh, left with the, the chimpanzee type. And the chimpanzees, you said that they're very, they're prone to the reactive type of aggression, but are they as prone to the proactive aggression as well? Chimps are very odd because uh, they are a striking example of exhibiting proactive aggression. They do it in one rather predictable circumstance, which is when they meet members of neighbouring groups. And when they do that, uh, if they have a large imbalance of power, uh, such as, for instance, uh, eight males on <clears throat> one side of belonging to one group and one male on the other, then they will almost certainly, uh, the eight will go ahead and, and try and stalk and hunt down and kill that one male of the neighbouring group. And the remarkable thing about this is that somewhat like what happens in proactive aggression in humans, they're able to do it in a way that means they have very little risk of being hurt themselves. And in fact, in dozens of encounters that have now been seen in, across uh, many African countries, uh, what we find is that the proactive aggression exhibited by chimpanzees has never led to a serious injury. So um, this is amazing because the victim is this immensely strong individual fighting for his life, and he can't put any serious damage on his attackers. And why is that? It's because the attackers are so smart. They're so good at figuring out that they have got an overwhelming uh, degree of power imbalance. Uh, basically, one chimp can hold a foot, another can hold another foot, another can hold a hand, another a hand, and then everyone else uh, can just do what they like because he's immobilized. This sounds incredibly so, similar to humans. Well, it is remarkable. And uh, actually, if you tot up the amount of death that occurs from um, intergroup interactions uh, of this type. You find that in chimpanzees, it is somewhat similar to what you get in humans. So there's this massive difference that on the one hand, the proactive aggression has rather similar frequencies in terms of amount of death occurring in chimpanzees and humans. And then, as I said, enormous difference where in humans we have much down-regulated uh, frequency of uh, reactive aggression. And how did you come to concentrate on human beings? If you, know, if you were directed towards studying chimpanzees at the start, how, did you make the comparison yourself? Was it an interest? Well, I was an animal behaviorist who went out to um, watch chimpanzees because it seemed like a fantastic opportunity. But you know, my interest was mammals in general. But about 20 minutes after watching a chimpanzee in the wild, you realize that you are dealing with a species that uh, is different from uh, an antelope or a rodent or whatever. Uh, you can detect that they've got a mind that is uh, really interesting, that they are somewhat uh, you know, on the move, on the on the cusp towards being uh, human-like. And it just raises so many fascinating questions. And in fact, while I was uh, in the uh, study with Jane Goodall in, in Tanzania, 
Uh, that was the time when it was being discovered that chimpanzees were exhibiting this proactive aggression. And so it uh, um, obviously inspires thoughts of why it is that uh, they are one of our closest relatives and us share these similarities in behavior. And I think that we've been quite slow to come to a sort of confident position about this because it's so important not to take a superficial approach and simply say, oh, well, look, you know, they do something similar to us, so it must be part of our biology. But I think by now we have been able to, to work out uh, quite a lot about the similarities and differences between chimpanzees and ourselves and between bonobos and ourselves and construct a relatively confident evolutionary story. And my goodness, you know, Darwin would have loved it. I mean, there he was over a hundred years ago thinking about the relationship between apes and humans and having no idea that their behavior was so similar to ours. It's really extraordinary. It really is. My last question to you, Dr. Angham, is somewhat controversial. Do you look at men's propensity to violence in comparison to women's? In the animal kingdom in general, uh, you get much more male aggression, but not in every species. In humans, it's quite clear that we get much more male aggression, particularly well-known in reactive. It's not so well compared between uh, men and women in, in proactive aggression. But absolutely, you know, I certainly think of uh, men as being biologically given uh, to being more aggressive than women. Uh, we know quite a lot about how this is controlled through... Uh, the action of various hormones, uh, serotonin and testosterone. Um, it's uh, There's really uh, no question about the biological differences being very important. It doesn't mean that they uh, will automatically lead to um, men being more aggressive and women being less aggressive, just like biological influences in general. They can be overridden by circumstance, uh, in sometimes by will. But the basic idea that um, in our evolution, males have been more aggressive than females, and this has led to psychological differences that are mediated by testosterone uh, is quite clear. And I just wish that um, in our species, we didn't have males who were uh, so readily induced to aggression. I mean, I think everybody's on board with that. That's something I think that everybody can support. Dr. Rangham, thank you so much for joining me today. I might take you up on that invitation to your site in West Uganda. I do remember, we have that on tape now that you've said that. that I look forward I to you coming. come and see the wild animals. Thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.